All right, well, good morning once again. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus is traveling uh, toward Jerusalem, and we've talked about that off and on, uh, that Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem is like a major theme for the book of Luke. Uh, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and we know at that point the clock is ticking. He has, and we can't really tell, but somewhere between weeks and months to live. He will make his way to Jerusalem, challenge the powers that be, and they will kill him for it. And he knows this. And so as he's like traveling through, he ends up in this particular town. He's been teaching for a while. And people come up to him and say, Lord, will the number of people be saved, that are saved be few? That's an uncomfortable question. And then Jesus makes it even more uncomfortable by saying, essentially, the door is narrow. Yikes. So, at least the way that I kind of always heard this, or at least did while I was growing up and in certain pockets of, of adulthood, is that this question or this uh, exchange then gets flipped around to then ask, are you going through the narrow door? And usually what that gets boiled down to is, are you behaving yourselves? And I remember being in high school, like hearing something like this and going, well, I did see a rated R movie yesterday. Is that, that doesn't seem pretty narrow. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble, or something like that. Um, now, don't get me wrong, the words that Jesus says in response to this question are terrifying, in part because they kind of cut to a core fear of ours as human beings, and that is, am I good enough? Whether we realize it or not, we all ask this question in every sphere of our lives constantly. Am I good enough at my job? Which is really, what is my annual review going to look like? And, or am I going to get dismissed? Or will I finally get that bonus I need? Or whatever. Um, am I good enough in my relationships, in my marriage? Am I a good enough parent? And I, I feel like the answer to that one, by the way, is always no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in part because we get a lot of voices saying, you're not quite good enough, you therefore need to buy our product and then you'll be a better parent. Um, am I a good enough citizen? Am I a good enough student? Am I just a good enough person? And there are entire industries formed around this question that help us, in scare quotes, either to get enough stuff or get enough things so that we can tell ourselves we're good enough or to just flat out pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what, Eric, you're good enough and doggone it, people like you. That's a really dated reference. So if you're like under 40, you probably won't get it. Um, the interesting thing is that none of what I said has anything to do with the conversation that Jesus is having. Because when we hear the term saved, 
we tend to think, you know, have my sins forgiven and some kind of assurance that after I die, God will someday raise me from the dead and I will live with him or something like that. That is not at all what this question is really asking. See, on Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem, he's done a couple of things. He's healed people, um, which, as it turns out, makes him quite popular. He's been teaching certain things like how to follow God's word, like how to live as God intended human beings to live. And then he said some other things that seem a little out of place, at least for modern readers. He said certain things, and I think we talked about this last week, that, uh, like where he said, hey, look, you guys know how to interpret the signs in the weather and determine if it's going to be hot or if it's going to rain tomorrow. Why can't you determine the signs of the times? He's told parables, and he will tell more, uh, that, that seem to suggest that something big is about to happen. He's, talked, uh, he, he's, he's told parables that, that have like a kind of a certain oomph, like that rich guy who had like all of this grain, and so he stores it all up when really he should have given it most of it away. And then there's this calamity that strikes and he's going to die immediately. Like with Jesus, if you kind of look at it in the right light, you get this sense that something big's about to happen. And right after this conversation, and it's still sort of in that same scene, if you will, Jesus bursts into tears over Jerusalem. And it's not the last time he does this. And, and he says that I, I've longed to like gather Jerusalem under my wings to protect them. Uh, but the fact that I'm going to go there and be rejected means terrible things in Jerusalem's future. See, what Jesus saw coming is the holy city's destruction. And he's absolutely right. It happens about a generation later. And the thing, and, and he sees it coming, not just because he's Jesus, uh, but also he's a prophet. And he's also a careful observer of what is kind of going on around him. Uh, he sees that the economy oddly enough, is becoming very oppressive. That uh, it was set up in such a way that the wealthy are becoming much wealthier off the backs of the poor who were losing out and getting cheated out of that what little they had. Because some things never, ever, ever, ever change. It was kind of a joke, but also sort of a cynical observation. He sees that people are um, becoming angry. That there is a, a kind of an ongoing uh, theme of revolt among his people. When he was 12-ish, he witnessed this firsthand when 3,000 Galilean men rose up to free themselves of the shackles of Roman oppression. And for their trouble, they were all crucified. He sees this, this unsettling. And he's 
again, right, in a generation, they will revolt against Rome and they will lose badly and both the city and the temple are destroyed. When he says, strive to enter through the narrow door, what he means is, don't give in to that temptation. Don't get caught up in determining what God has in mind for God's people to the point that you decide that violence is the answer. Don't start following this very dangerous, virulent strain of nationalism to the point that your identity as as a child of God is indistinguishable from your identity as an Israelite. And it's a very important, I mean, warning and, and something for us, even as, as modern-day Americans, to take into consideration. Like, it's easy for us to sort of take Christianity and being an American and then just blend it all together when they're, they should be distinct. And then Jesus starts to say some of the most offensive things that he will say, not to us, but to them. Because when the people go to knock, the door is shut, and they say, but you preached in our streets, you taught us. And what is Jesus actively doing while he's going around and and meeting people? He's doing exactly that. This is very pointed at the people that asked this question. And then he said, you will look in and you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like the great patriarchs. And you will see people from the east, the west, the north, the south. Gentiles. Ew. Like uncircumcised pig eaters. That's not right. So what Jesus has now done is he has said... To this person who asked, will the number of people be saved few, saved from this calamity that is coming? And Jesus says, look, you have no idea what's about to happen, but realize that what is eventually going to happen will mean that the wrong sorts of people get invited to the table of God and those who are really sure of themselves will be on the outside Those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. So what sense do we make of this today? Because, I mean, this has huge implications if you're a first century Jewish person. We live in Albuquerque in the year 2022. Well, I think first off... um, The question about will the number of people be say, that are saved be few can raise this idea of am I good enough? Am I going to be doing the right things? And if you listen to it very carefully, you'll realize that Jesus' answer is 
Because then that cuts to the other side of that question. Like, am I good enough? Uh, Am I doing the right things? Am I really loved? The only reason why we would ever ask that question is because implicitly, somewhere deep inside, we know that the answer is no. And so as Jesus is traveling around and showing people what it means to be truly, fully human, uh, truly as God intended us to be, like, he has to do that because we as human beings don't get it. And what little we get, we can't live up to. But the thing with the narrow door really suggests that our expectations are subverted. That we have a tendency in our attempt to be good enough or convince ourselves that we are smart enough and moral enough and whatever else, uh, we have a tendency to take that insecurity and foist it on others. Or as I think the author uh, Anne Lamont said, you know that you've made God in your own image if he hates all the same people that you do. Because if I'm struggling to determine whether or not I'm good enough, one of the ways that I can do that is by making sure that I'm convinced that nobody else is. Therefore, I stand above and beyond them. But when Jesus reveals that those who will have a place at the table of the kingdom of God uh, are all the wrong sorts of people, He flips the script. And as it turns out, what Jesus is seeking to accomplish has absolutely nothing to do with your ability, with my ability to behave, to be moral. Because it has everything to do with God choosing you, God choosing me. That Jesus, like from a historical standpoint, he goes to Jerusalem, the upper echelon of Jerusalem leadership rejects him, and he dies. And what they're really rejecting is kind of God's way to be the kingdom, and so they're going to continue to try to establish their own kingdom, and it's going to get them killed terribly. That's just the historical thing. But we, we start to realize that what Jesus is doing takes on cosmic significance. That his death does something for everybody. That we, many generations later, Asking the questions, am I good enough? Am I moral enough? Am I kind enough? Are stuck. And then it turns out when the Son of God, divinity walking around in sandals, goes to his grave willingly because of the actions of sinful humanity. That actually... We die with him. 
that the narrow door is actually really hard to enter, but it, or I would say impossible, unless Jesus drags us there, down into his grave. And when we die with him, what God kills, God always makes alive. Now, rewind for a second. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The wrong sorts of people enter the kingdom of God, which means people like you and people like me. That the narrow door, which we often hear of as like a weapon, a weapon by pastors and preachers and whatever to make us behave in a certain way, is actually a symbol of the impossibility of being good enough for God. And therefore, it's an example of how impossibly loving God really is. Because if you're standing here today, you've been baptized into Jesus' death, you've been raised in new life, you already have a place at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and people from the north, south, east, and west. The narrow door is an invitation not to beating ourselves to death and saying, ah, I did this and I did this and I'm guilty of all of this, nor is it an invitation, or, uh, and it is not an invitation to say they are not entering through the narrow door because I am better and this is what it looks like, but rather it is an example of Jesus in his infinite loving ways dying for those who desperately don't deserve it. That means you and me. Amen.